el Todos Hablamos McDonald's Deal. Porque cuando están decidiendo qué ordenar y la tía Carmen te dice... McNuggets, mijo. Y una de las hamburguesas con esa salsita. ¿Sabes? Ya tú sabes que eso significa una Big Mac. Y lo sabes porque tú también amas esa salsita. Hay un meal para cada cena familiar en McDonald's. Ordena por anticipado por el app de McDonald's y llévate dos de tus favoritos, como McNuggets de 10 piezas y una Big Mac por solo 6 dólares. Precios y participación pueden variar. Producto individual a precio regular. Millions of despairing men, women and little children. Victims of a system that makes men torture and imprison innocent people. You cannot shake hands with a clenched fist. Produced by a nuclear exchange would be carried by wind and water and soil and seed to the far corners of the kingdom of God, the, the kingdom, kingdom of heaven. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. We're not saying that planet Earth is coming to an end. We're saying that planet Earth is about to be refurbished, spaded under, and have another chance to serve as a garden for another civilization. Most of the people in here are just your reflections. They're your mistakes. 1776 will commence again if you try to take our firearms. One million of the planet's eight million species are threatened. You are what you repeatedly do. Therefore, excellence ought to be a habit, not an act. Your lives and the credibility of the United Nations is at stake. Epstein didn't kill himself. The reason this is such an interesting time is not only because we're on the threshold of the end of this civilization. They're trying to take you out with bullshit. The experience of the past two years has proven beyond doubt that no nation can appease the Nazis. To those who can hear me, I say, do not despair. The misery that is now upon us is but the passing of greed, the bitterness of men who fear the way of human progress. The hate of men will pass and dictators die, and the power they took from the people will return to the people. And so long as men die, liberty will never perish. In the language of the U.S. Department of Defense, these are unidentified aerial phenomena. Roswell's a very interesting place with a lot of people that would like to know what's going on. Uh, there is very compelling evidence that we, uh, we may not be alone. This is the Garden of Doom. Welcome everyone into the Garden of Doom. And today we welcome back one of our original friends, yeah, from one of the old shows back when Shah was doing the co-hosting as well, or I was doing the co-hosting. This dates back, I don't even remember which episode it was, but it was single digits. It, it was like probably within the first four episodes, one of our first guests, and certainly one of our first guests that was not part of the sort of the already known extended podcast family was the very cryptically only identified by first name, Kelly, who, who worked for... <laughs> an unidentified employer, and we're gonna keep that going. This is still Kelly who works for an unidentified employer. Hello, Cryptic Kelly. Hi, Cryptic uh, Kelly's doing good, how are you? I'm doing great, this is terrific. In fact, you're doing great. You got you got married since last you were on the Garden of Doom. Yeah, so far married life is good. That's terrific. So the Garden of Doom was the Garden of Bloom for you. Yes, we're, we're, we're taking complete credit for uh, all those things, the, the, the karmic greatness that came your way. 
Oh, yes. And as you should. <laughs> yes. I, I'm sure it was that appearance that, that made him fall in love. Um, so, terrific. Um, you know, I'm not even going to say him. Uh, it could be anyone. I don't want anyone to figure out uh, where Kelly is or who Kelly is. But Kelly is an aerospace engineer. For those of you who don't remember, go search out the show if you can find it anywhere. Um, if you can't, I have it. Um, when we transferred the feed over from the one that, that Shaw was using to the one that's exclusively mine, because Breaking the Apocalypse is, is on that feed and there couldn't be two shows on the feed. Um, I'm not sure that I ever republished the old shows or not, but if you want to check it out, uh, just shoot me a message and I'll send you the link individually. Um, or maybe if there's enough, if it's overwhelming, maybe I'll just republish it. There's no issue with doing that. Anyway, in that episode, Kelly signs the hell out of Doom. She gave us, I think the, her topic was 10 real-life things that we should be afraid of uh, or could be afraid of as far as Doom was concerned. We talked about solar flares and the caldera below Yellowstone. And, you know, of course, in my own version of the world, we confirmed the existence of Godzilla or Cthulhu-like titans under 12 zones of unidentified, or we, we don't know why there's high levels of radiation uh, in, in these sites. Um, but I'm not going to spoil everything for those of you who want to check out that show. Go back, take a listen to it. And again, you heard what I said earlier. But that's not what we're going to talk about today. Today we're talking about space. Why space? Because Kelly, Cryptic Kelly, is involved in space as well because she's an aerospace engineer. Um, and the systems that she works on have applications in space and other places as well. Um, but I asked her about what does all this privatization of space mean for the industry? What, what do you see happening? You know, what's going on with Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos and Branson and all these other cats going up into space? And, you know, this is likely to be followed by others. So, I asked for her initial thoughts. She graciously agreed to come on the show, and here I am giving a monologue. So let's have a dialogue. What's up? <laughs> um, so as, as far as the commercialization of space, it's actually really exciting at this point um, to be alive in, in the space age because um, different techniques are now coming to bear where it's making it possible for people other than um, governments to um, send satellites up and, and do interesting things. So, for instance, you know, you can you can be a space tourist. You can pick, like, one of, um, you know, two different um, companies at this point between Virgin Galactic and um, the uh, Blue Origin um, systems to um, go up into space. You can also basically... Um, uh, you know, create your own satellite and um, ask, you know, someone like SpaceX or someone similar. There's there's a couple of different um, uh, launch um, providers that are available where, you know, for a reasonable price space-wise, space is always expensive, but for a reasonable price, you can send something up and, and you know, just like have fun and do your own experiments and, you know, play around. Um, so... These are things that were not possible like even a decade ago. So it's it's actually really cool. Who do you think is going to be the first 
rich person or entity that's going to put something up that's we're going to think is zany that's going to be commonplace. Like, who's going to be the first one? Like, I remember when Rush Limbaugh had his own network. Like, he was, like, the first one. And now it's commonplace. Like, is it going to be, like, a Joe Rogan or something that has, that has the money and the backing that if he wants to put up a satellite or something, that, that it's possible that, that he can put one up? But just for, like, his own, like, you know... I'm not going to call Joe Rogan's purposes zanies. I don't even really follow Joe Rogan that much. I, I mean, I hear the headlines just like everybody else, but that that that's I don't think I've ever listened to one of his shows except for one where Alex Jones was on, and it was to listen to him and Alex Jones um, coming in exchange. Um, but like, is there are like is there like a like a pool in the office or anything like that as to who's going to do it and then. Like it's going to be porn, right? It's it's going to be something porn related, <laughs> like a porn hub, just like going around in space, able to like have you uh, download it directly or like from a, overhead. Yeah, or like um, a space casino where like there, where you know, like a and like a like a all, no rules brothel, like on some asteroid or something. <laughs> so actually, I would put my money on Elon Musk because he is. Um, really interested in um, doing all kinds of crazy stuff that he, he um, is interested in and he just does it like he doesn't care he just you know he has like chutzpah where he's just like this is where we should be I'm doing it I don't care what y'all think <laughs> and just throws money at stuff yeah. um, so it, it probably definitely helps that he is already you know, the, um, the owner of SpaceX, um, where they can basically do his bidding at this point, but he's already mentioned that he wants to die on Mars. So, and, you know, if you actually look at the SpaceX, um, website, like on their, um, their shop page where you can like buy different, um, t-shirts, mm-hmm. you know, one of them occupy Mars. So yeah, he's definitely full force. A full force. May, may the force be with him, I guess, right? Um, <laughs> the question is, does he name rename Mars planet Musk, planet Elon, or does he do Nole, which is Elon backwards, or, or something else? <laughs> oh, um, I, I don't know if he could quite get away with that, but he's definitely going to name every single thing that he touches, like, you know, like Elon Boulevard and um, the sea of... The CEO of Musk, though that might be kind of creepy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, it's, it's going to be like Lex, Lu- uh, Lex Luthor in, in Superman One, where it had the whole map where it was like Lex City and Luthersburg, and, and then Little Otis is like Little Otisburg, and he got all crazy about Otisburg, get rid of it. Um, but you said you don't know if he can get away with it. Who's going to stop him? Of like, if he's like the first one that sends up six guys with with machine guns or whatever works up there, I mean. He already has an unstoppable force right away. You're right. Um, like no, nobody can stop him. Like calling like Mars, like Muskland, but he can't make other people call it that. So we'll we'll see uh, how persuaded people are. Well, he can but if they yeah, want to come to customs. If they want to come to Mars <laughs> customs or or Musk customs, do you think that he will then file a suit? to change the name of musk oxen and the scent musk oh yeah he's i I, i'm pretty sure he has that kind of like um flair where he would just go crazy that is flair 
Absolutely. But we joke, but I mean, listen, we, we are generationally of similar, you know, in the same generation-ish. I'm older than you, but, you know, depending on which era of birth to reproduction you go by, uh, you know, I'm probably in like a middle ages, same generation as you, as opposed to a modern one. Um, but we know the cartoons with, everyone's like, what the hell is he talking about? With Duck Dodgers in the 24th and a half century, where he'd go to the planet and he'd put down the flag and he'd say, I claim this planet in the name of Earth. But Marvin Martian was already there and he'd say, I claim this planet in the name of Mars. Actually, I claim this planet in the name of Mars. And they would disintegrate and reintegrate each other. And Porky Pig was always, was really the hero. Um, but that's sort of how space is. I mean, the law of space is vapid. I mean, it, it's a lot like maritime law almost. And, you know, when people got there from countries that recognize themselves as countries, they claimed the land for theirs and the rest of the countries that recognized themselves as countries did so because, of course, almost everywhere you went, there were already people. The only exceptions, you know, as far as we know, is Antarctica, as far as we know. And Antarctica is still a bit of a mess. I mean, it's, you know, there's a few zones that have been divided. There's research and scientific and medical stations, which are sort of like embassies. They belong to the countries which claim them, but all of the land between them and around them um, is unclaimed. It's international land and really anything goes there. The only thing stopping it, of course, is the portal to the hollow earth and then the ancient UFO bases and the dinosaurs. So, uh, but it's sort of like if Antarctica is the model, it's, it's sort of the wild west, but you know, even worse. Yeah, so that that's a good point because um, right now, since you know people don't usually like um, fly to other uh, planetary bodies except for the moon at this point, like um, people claim different celestial bodies by sight. Like I saw this first, I I discovered it. I'm naming it after whatever. So it'll be kind of interesting to see what happens when people can actually like start setting foot on stuff. Um, right. And I guess you don't even need guys with machine guns or, or uh, gender neutral guys, by the way, folks. Um, but you could have robots, your robots, you know, that, that, that are, you know, armed. They, you know, they could be very effective. But so I think I'm kidding, but it, it, it's, I'm really not. And it's even a little bit scarier because we're acting like this is uncharted territory and it is uncharted territory because we haven't charted it, but it's not really that different than, you know, our own not so distant past in some cases, it's basically colonization. Now, just cause, you know, I, I think that a lot of Europeans claimed that they didn't think that there were any people in North America, they didn't even, or South America, they didn't even know the Americas were there. Whether that's true or not, who knows, but that, that, that's that's what they say they thought. They thought it was open land. Um, we probably think that of Mars and things like that, but we also have found things that are signs of types of life that may have existed or may still microbial, bacteria, underground water, perhaps frozen. We don't know how 
deep it is. We don't know if, if the water flows. We don't know if water, if anything's in there. But if anything of any kind of sentience is found, it's it sort of, I mean, it, it, I mean, to, to, an extreme environmentalist, even that is colonization. That that's you know appropriation and and is you know could be some sort of sort of violence. Though I guess it could be reciprocal. Um, but if there's anything of sentience there, we're just taking. We're just doing it again. Oh, no, totally. Like um, humans tend to just um, repeat history over and over again. Unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on what was happening. But in this case, you know they. We tend to just conquer first and think later. Um, the you did bring up an, an interesting point about um, you know bacteria being um, on Mars already. So there, Martians do exist. Um, they are little tiny organisms. Um, they've also made some recent discoveries of like more places where there is um, water on Mars. So be interesting to see when we. Um, are able to explore more exactly what else is up there. Yeah. Now, if you believe my friends at, at some, you know, other podcasts like Earth Agents and some of the others, there's actually proof of, you know, um, pyramids and, and other, you know, clearly man-made or artificial structures there. Now, we we cannot prove this or disprove this. At least I can't. Perhaps you have access to those materials, but you probably couldn't say. Um you know, or or perhaps the face or or the thing that looks like a pyramid. It's just a mountain, you know, or or just a trick of the light or shadows or whatever the case may be. But who knows? Maybe that's what they thought about Anger Wat or Machu Picchu at some point. I, you know, we we don't know. That that's the point. And forget about Mars for the moment. Let, let's assume that Mars is, you know, it's just bacteria and it's mostly a dead planet. Um, understanding life and the parameters that we currently understand it, which I mean, those goalposts are always moving as well on our own planet, let alone somewhere else. So I, I don't know how, you know, we can speak with any certainty, but they they found lots of planets in what they call the Goldilocks zone for us. Um, the number of planets has gone exponentially up. I saw something on a, a woman who was one of the pioneers in looking for exoplanets planets outside of our solar system that uh, could support life as we understand life. And basically she was mocked like her professors and whatever, like you're so smart, you have such a great future. Why are you going into this field that has zero chance of, of any sort of, you know, future. And within 10 years they had found like, you know, they had only found one planet, but then like 10 years later, it like jumped up to, you know, dozens now, you know, now it's like hundreds or thousands uh, of planets that they found now, you know, some of them are, you know, tens of thousands of light years away or whatever. Um, but even on like some of the moons of Jupiter, which by the way, I, I went to something at the, and, and we're not going to pretend that Kelly from this mysterious employer even knows where this is, but I went to something at the University of Maryland, Baltimore County, planetarium, a, a presentation on post-Newtonian space. And at that time, they said that there were 62 or 67 moons of Jupiter. Well, I looked just as a hunch just a couple days ago, and now it's up to like 72 moons of Jupiter. So within the last calendar year or so, we've confirmed at least five new moons on Jupiter. Um, 
which is to point out that we don't know a whole lot of stuff, a whole lot of our, about our own solar system and what could be lurking there. Yeah, uh, we're getting better and better at this all the time, and I'm actually really looking forward to the James Webb Space Telescope um, going up, and and the uh, the launch date has now moved to Christmas Day. I don't know if you saw the most recent headline that came out tonight, um, but they moved it to Christmas Day. So cross your fingers, cross your toes. Um, there's there's a lot of new technology on that spacecraft that um, uh, needs to go right. And um, I think that um, we're going to learn a lot, not only about spacecraft technology, but about um, our own um, universe and um, uh, being able to look at the birth of um, galaxies with um, the, the technology that that has. It's, it's going to be interesting what kind of knowledge we're going to find out. For the benefit of our listeners who haven't been following what the James Webb Telescope is, it is a new telescope which is going to be deployed to space, which is exponentially more powerful than the Hubble Telescope. Um, but I, I mean, I think it's something like it's it's a ridiculous amount more powerful than the Hubble Telescope. Do you have any idea what that that ratio is? Um, no, I, so like the, some of the metrics that you look at, um, for comparing telescopes, just to kind of give people an idea is, um, okay, well, how big is the, the optical aperture? Because the aperture tells you, um, how much light you can get in and, um, send to the sensor and look at it and, and find out interesting information. We're going from something that is going to be three times larger, uh, uh, generally, than the Hubble telescope. Um, we're also going to be using um, sensors that um, have um, gone generations of um, technology leap forward ahead of time as to like how sensitive they can be and, and what kind of information they can pick up. Again, um, Hubble's been on orbit for decades. Um, so it's, it's very old sensor technology. Um, like just imagine that like, you know, Hubble was before we even had like the iPhone Hubble was before a lot of people even had like handheld cameras that they, um, you know, had digital cameras and just clicked, um, and took pictures when they were, um, walking around town. Like it is, um, it's going to be very different and um, it's, it's very exciting that um, they even can adjust the optics um, on board while it's up there by just moving all of the different hexagonal uh, mirrors. So I think that's going to be interesting to watch. Hopefully they'll have like um, some way of um, uh, looking at that with um, some kind of, um, Hopefully they'd have some kind of like um, a camera that would be uh, monitoring it, but who knows? I don't know if they have that or not, but that would be really neat to watch. Yeah. So all I want for Christmas this year is a successful launch and placement and functioning of the James Webb telescope. Um, And hopefully all of you, uh, all of you good boys and girls out there, um, 
can make wishes to Santa or whomever and, and wish for that as well. Um, for those of you who have heard about the James Webb telescope, James Webb was an astronaut. Um, and in true 21st century fashion, most of the news has been about the controversy surrounding his name, you know, cause you know, uh, shockingly a, a man who I guess now is, is he still alive? Uh, I'm not I sure. I don't think so. I don't think so either, but I think he would have been like in his eighties at this point. Shockingly, when he was in the prime of his life, some of his views or statements don't correspond to, you know, the 2021, 2022 sensibilities. And, you know, that, that's, you know, that's a challenge that will always meet and will probably always fail. And for those of you who think you're on the cutting edge of proper thought now, your grandkids, if we're lucky enough to live long enough to have grandkids, um, will probably think that what some of the things that you think right now are antiquated. So I don't know. It's just the way it is. Anyway, enough about that. But that's, if you've heard it'll the... It'll be what? Right. Um, so that that's what, you know, most of the news has been about, at least that made made it to main, mainstream, was the, the controversy regarding the name of the telescope, rather the functionality and, and the... Um, I'm trying to use, I'm trying to find the right word and it's escaping me, but the abilities of the, and the functionality um, of the telescope itself and all the information that it will gather to us. I, you know, it's funny, you were talking about how the Hubble, how old it is. I still feel like it's new. And, and like, I remember more than one crisis where like they thought that the lenses were destroyed, but they were able to repair them every time or they had a replacement and the replacement technology actually worked or the robotic technology repairs actually work. Like they were, like they were surprised and it's definitely <laughs> lived longer. You know, the, you know, we're used to things that don't live a second past their warranty. Uh, Hubble's lasted about a decade longer than its warranty, just like those rovers that are, running around on Mars right now. They were they were supposed to be dead after like three or four days and some of them are still kicking around down, down there. So who who knows? Um, I, and it's, you know, so we were joking about the, the casino and porn and, and brothels and things like that. And, and, you know, I'm only half joking because that's usually what gets built first when somebody goes out there, you, uh, you know, you, but it usually... You know, someone has to be there to be the customers. It's not just going to be rich space tourists because there aren't that many of them. So it's usually mining. Um, you know, so whether it's the railroad or gold or oil or, or whatever, usually exploration is fueled by some sort of resource. And there have been reports, and and we've talked about some of them on Garden of Doom. And when I say we, I mean me and whoever my guest that time might have been, or just me, uh, with the many voices in my head like Venom and Carnage. Um, and there's like, there's like asteroids that are worth more than the entire GDP of the planet earth itself. Uh, now, of course, without getting into the economics, if all of a sudden you brought down a $60 trillion rock, that the $60 trillion wouldn't be worth what $60 trillion was worth before the day before and, and inflation and, and, and things like that and supply and demand. There's plenty of good stuff out there that, that has market values. Uh, on Earth, and there might be new things that have new market values. And um, as they said in the Eternals, 
uh, war always leads to advancements in science, medicine, and healthcare, and uh, you know all sorts of other wonderful things as they were grappling with their uh, their inner morality that they had uh, been struggling with as Eternals are wont to do. Um, but it's the when I was circling back to earlier part of the show, we're talking about space law and international law. And I sort of giggled a little bit. I mean, people always talk about international law and this, that, and the other thing. And most people don't know what the heck they're talking about. And, you know, and some of them just had their ignorance, but, but even people who know international law know they don't know what the heck they're talking about because there really is no such thing. Uh, it, it's basically a collection of the willing even the UN is only as powerful as the consensus, uh, the consent of its members. And there's a really big difference as to whether, say, Luxembourg consents to something or its neighbor France consents to something. Uh, and France, especially since it has veto power in the Security Council. But the point being is that it, it really is a coalition of the willing and not even the UN represents every country on earth. There's there's not even a full agreement on how many countries there are on earth. Um, yeah, sometimes I hear 193, sometimes I hear 195. If you start recognizing, you know, sort of breakaway republics or Taiwan or, you know, whatnot, you sort of get into the 200s. Um, so we can't even agree on that. But there's an there's an even more pressing problem as to space law, and that is that we don't even agree as to where space begins and where the atmosphere ends. Um, so can you elaborate on that just a bit? So um, if you look at it scientifically, um, it, the, the physics of it, that like the atmosphere just slowly starts to dissipate the higher you go up in altitude. So there's really no specific cutoff. Um, but, you know, people like thresholds. And so um, we tend to just designate a certain point as to being like the edge of space. But of course, us being people, we don't even agree on our thresholds. Um, so uh, as, as people have discussed when they were talking about the difference between um, whether Blue Origin actually took you out into space or near space. Um, that was a fun discussion <laughs> um, as to what altitude um, really constituted space. Um, it's, it's very similar, actually, when you think about um, uh, some other things like, like uh, Twilight, um, for instance, and, um, and Sunrise. Like, if you... Um, look at the sun going down and it starts to turn to dusk and then it starts to get darker and darker and darker. It's like, well, where exactly was twilight? Was it like when the sun just went down? Um, is it a couple degrees after? Um, like, where is that? And um, of course, us being humans and, and engineers and scientists, there's actually three different types of <laughs> twilight. So um, it, it's kind of prevalent everywhere. Um, I actually kind of wanted to get back to one of the other things you were talking about. I thought sure. it was kind of interesting. Um, so you were talking about international law and how it is like a law of the willing. Um, that's exactly how um, different parts of space law is. For instance, um, the United States has passed a law 
um, amongst ourselves that if you put a satellite up into space, you have to have a plan for how it's going to come back down because um, satellites always come down eventually. And so you need to make sure that when it comes down, it's not going to um, destroy um, other things, including um, humans, um, and that you have enough fuel left over to have a safe reentry. Um, a lot of other countries internationally also follow the same rule, but not everyone. Um, there are definitely um, just certain people that just feel like, you know what, I don't want to pay for the extra fuel. Too bad, so sad. Good luck with that. Yeah, China recently blew up one of its own satellites. I, you know, I'm not sure if it was, you know, a, a, an old satellite that they needed to get rid of or wanted to get rid of, or it's just just to see if they could. But they could and they did, and it blew up into you know a hundred you know or a thousand pieces, and the international community roundly shook their fingers at China and condemned China, and China said, "Oh, we'll we'll never do it again, maybe." Um, and and that's that's the you know that's the extent of it. But you know, it doesn't do anything about all the space junk that's floating up out there. The interesting thing about satellites is, um, I read something that most satellites are at the same distance to keep a geosynchronous orbit with the Earth. Now, there was something 26 in there. What I, what I can't remember is whether it was 26,000 feet off of sea level or 26,000 miles off of sea level, which, I mean, they're huge differences because 26,000 feet, just, just so people know, generally speaking, in general consensus that, that is between space and atmosphere, I think they have something called a Karnan line. Is like you know, Karnan's probably a guy that, that the scientist that came up with this theory, um, and it's about sixty-two miles up. But it it varies, just like you know where the you know when you go to the ocean, where the tide comes up to you know you know every few inches, it's a little bit different, um, and and sort of the same thing. And it probably varies throughout the day based on gravity and and other celestial bodies and a thousand other factors that I know nothing about. Um, but sort of like between 55 and 62 miles or after 50 miles and, and there's discrepancy and it's not nothing. We're talking about miles. So if it's even five miles, five miles is like 26,000 feet. Um, that's a lot of space, no pun intended. Um, now 26,000 miles takes us about 40% to the moon. Uh, the moon is about 60,000 miles away, something like that. Um, so the, obviously there's a huge difference. I mean, 26,000 feet sounds more right to my ear, but it also sounds like it might be a little bit low. I'm, I'm not sure. Do you have any idea on that? Um, so it's 22,000 miles um, for geosynchronous, geosynchronous orbit, which is equivalent to um, a little bit less than 36,000 kilometers. Mm -hmm. um, what you were also talking about, which was how the um, orbit changes relative to the Earth, just based off of the fact that the Earth is not exactly round, um, means that even if you're in a perfectly circular orbit, it's going to change in altitude by about 17 kilometers over um, the course of the orbit. Yeah, we wobble, people. It's not just a song. It's not just a dance. We actually wobble. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, so it's 22,000 miles. That that makes a lot more sense than, and I, I don't know where I got the 26 from, but I was, I was in yeah, the ballpark. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I have a professional here not in, instead of me, who's, you know, just a hobbyist with a, you know, a inflated opinion of his, you know, the sound of his own voice. Um, so yeah, 22,000, <laughs> <laughs> so 22,000 miles, but, uh, you know, well in, you know, in space, um, but within lunar space, which, you know, I don't think yet, but at some point that's probably going to be like the new border as, as goalposts always get pushed backwards. At some point it might be, you know, the, the, the lunar ellipse and then, you know, uh, make that three dimensional, like a, like a sphere. And then I read somewhere that we have a second moon, uh, which is really just a, you know, a large asteroid or a much small, you know, that, that also orbits us. Is that even true? Yes. Okay. Yes. So it's weird. <laughs> I, I like to ignore that because I don't like change. Um, <laughs> I know. <laughs> like Pluto. Like, but, right. I, I still think of it as the planet and no one will tell me different. <laughs> yeah. No. I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to call it a subplanet. I, I just want to hang on to its planet status. Well, there's always Nibiru. There's uh, always the hope of Nibiru, the, the planet that's, that's, we can see its signs, but we can eternally never actually see it. talking about with um, uh, lunar orbits and stuff, the, uh, just to point out, the James Webb telescope is actually going to be at a Lagrange point in between the um, Earth and the Moon, um, which means that it's not actually going to be orbiting. It's just going to be sitting in kind of a gravity well between them. But yeah, it's um, going to be um, partially between the Earth and the Moon. So um, let's... So that'll be Let's put a pin in that for a second. Actually, let's not leave that for a second. So two very important questions. One, is it perpetually going to be playing Lagrange by ZZ Top? <laughs> it should if it isn't. Okay. And the I other thing... That was an oversight. Yes, definitely. And uh, is it too late now? And what is a Lagrange point? What's that mean? So it is a um, mathematical point um, in between... Um, two, um, uh, what are they called? Centers. And so if you have one center at the center of the earth and the other center at the moon, then you're going to have a Lagrange point that is, um, partially in between and to the left and partially in between and to the right. And they are, um, physically significant because um you can actually set an object there and it'll be um at um an equilibrium where it doesn't actually need to orbit a celestial body in order to um maintain its position it just kind of sits there okay so it's it's not influenced enough by any other celestial bodies uh gravity that it will stay uh in one place is it can it be maneuvered at all? In other words, like so, if we were going to try to look for Nibiru, or if there was another Umawuma that came into uh, our solar system, could they direct it? To, could they turn it around to look at that? Or is the whole point of being at a Lagrange point that you don't move it or you screw that whole thing up? So yeah, if they end up moving it, then it's going to get pushed out again, and they'd have to reposition back in. Um, if there's another large body that comes into play, if, if, uh, there's a, 
you know, say a uh, Earth-killing asteroid that decides to start circulating the Earth or the Moon, like it's going to mess up that point. Um, they chose that point because it'll be um, away from the um, the Earth's um, uh, reflectance, and so it'll get clearer data so it's basically a way of like decreasing the noise from that pesky earth light that is reflected off from the sun getting peskier all the time um so we've established that there are two moons so we so those of you who think that we faked the moon landing we didn't even fake the moon landing we faked a moon landing or if you believe we did land on the moon we landed on a moon not the moon where is this second moon <laughs> Where is our second moon? What does it look like and why don't we see it? And is there is that one made of cheese? So I'm not sure what it looks like. Has anyone actually released um, imagery yet? I'm sure somebody has, right? I, I'm sure somebody has. I mean, I saw a photo of, of something, but for all I know, it could have been an artist's rendition, just like, you know, I still see Umawuma as as like the cigar-shaped uh, asteroid that, that that artist drew that sort of reminds me of that old Star Trek that they... You know, the giant cigar killing machine. Um, but I don't know. It, it, it looked, you know, it didn't look circular. It more looked, it was a rock shape, you know, almost, almost uh, like a diamond or a tetrahedron or so, something. I, I don't know. I'm just saying words now. Uh, I, I really don't know. But, <laughs> you know, there, there are things that they believe that they can mine that have value on the moon. But I imagine on, on this moon too, I mean, <laughs> You know, it's a joke. Like for, for us dorks and nerds, I mean, Earth 2, I mean, first of all, there was a TV show called Earth 2, but there was also Earth 2 in, in DC Comics, which was, you know, pretty big for a while. And, you know, of course, the Marvel Universe, we're like, this Earth is Earth 616. Um, you know, so Earth 2 is all sorts of, you know, nutty connotations. By the way, Earth 2 was an okay TV show for a while and, until it wasn't. Um, then again, it might just be the 80s and the... <laughs> speaking now um so do we have any idea what earth what moon two is made of um so it looks like they have a designator for it and um it is called so 2020 and um let's see now it is oh it's the remains of a 1960s rocket booster that's a good time. One of ours, I assume? Um, well, it's from the 1960s, so it's not Mars. I don't know I mean, what is going on with that. But is it an Earth? So our moon is actually space junk. It's actually space junk. Well, that's not much of a moon. That's a little bit disappointing. Speaking of real stuff in the moon, um, which maybe is going to be disappointing, but is nonetheless factual. So... When we're talking about mining and the moon, uh, this is not just the Garden of Tomb and, and Jeff doing rank punditry and, and pontificating on craziness. There's actually treaties on this. Uh, and we'll get back to that in a second. But in 1979, nations on Earth signed something called, yes, the Moon Treaty. It stipulated that activities in space should conform to international law, which we've already addressed. Um, you know who didn't sign that treaty? The United States. Uh, so the United States <laughs> didn't sign the Moon Treaty in 1979. Um, now, 
1979, the United States was one of probably two nations that was sending things into space. Um, maybe there was a third or fourth, I don't know, but you know, a pretty large oversight there. Uh, so even back as early as 1979, yeah, that, that is before the empire strikes back, folks. Um, there, there was uh, a treaty about the moon. Now, in 2015, the U.S. passed a law. Yes, the U.S. and this is 2016. So this is this is Obama, folks. Um, you know, it, it's not the evil Trump, and I mostly agree with the evil Trump moniker. Um, but the 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 law in 19 in I'm sorry, 19 2015 expressly allowed American companies to use resources from the moon and asteroids but disallowed them from claiming territory. So in other words, they could mine, you know, there's no trees, but they could forest, they could basically exploit resources, mostly mining, that, that, you know, that was what's contemplated anyway, but they couldn't claim, you know, this for the British East India Tea Company or SpaceX or, you know, Amazon Interstellar Distribution Center or whatever. Um, then again, like I said, you put six guys with machine guns, who's to stop them? Uh, especially when the guy who puts six machine guns can launch rockets pretty much every day and and add another, you know, half a dozen people with machine guns every few days. And before you know it, you've got a you've got a, a company uh, up there. And, you know, just like in the year, you know, 400 A.D. in in England, you have 60 guys with spears. You've got an army. Well, the, it's the same thing on the moon, on the moon. On top of that. There was another treaty, um, and this time it was the the uh, Mr. Trump who took the U.S. expressly out of said expressly we're not going to join the Moon Treaty, thus reaffirming the rights of U.S. companies to mine uh, asteroids and the Moon. Uh, but there's really no reason to. Well, actually, it was limited to the Moon and asteroids, so. There are things that are not the moon and that asteroids. I mean, I'm not really sure what the difference is between an asteroid and a meteor and comets are a different thing. And, you know, and then there's other planets as well. But those objects were not touched. And um, in law, generally speaking, if you use specific words and you don't use other words, then the specific words, you know, is what's counted. It's presumed that you left out the other words on purpose, so it would be presumed that you left out meteors, planets, um, other moons, comets, what have you, um, on purpose. Now, all this is again a little bit laughable because international law is the law of the willing. This U.S. statute applies to U.S. companies which are based in the U.S. Well, I mean, if you've been following the news, there are companies that you think are based in the U.S. They're making billions in the U.S. that aren't paying any taxes in the U.S because they say they're based elsewhere. So you, you can see how the absurdity is. So uh, I posted something on Facebook today. Some people know I've got a alter ego, one of many called Evil Dose. And Evil Dose is a totalitarian. Evil Dose is taking over the world. Evil Dose has already claimed himself to be the viceroy of a territory known as Nineveh, not the territory in Canada, more like the, a biblical, it's sort of like an Eden. It, it, you know, or Atlantis sort of moves wherever Evil Dose would like it to move to. And Evil Dose, you know, has lairs and bases 
like like a Bond villain, but all of the Bond villain combines. So Evil Dose has declared that if you register your space vehicles in the Viceroy of Nineveh, for a modest fee, of course, uh, you will be flagged under, that will be your nation of registry. Now, people laugh, but there's a reason why one quarter of ships in the world are registered to the little country of Panama. And it's not because they all go through the Panama Canal and it seems like a great idea. It's because there's laws very favorable to shipping in Panama. Same way when you drive up and down I-70 or I-95 and you look at trucking companies, you're going to start to see patterns. There's going to be some states where the trucks have the or the the, the, the um, trailer part of it anyway has license plates from you know, basically a finite number of states with a lot of frequency, and there's reasons for that too. Um, so, uh, you know that. And why am I talking about flag registration and maritime law? Because the space laws do talk about country of registration. Now, that's part of what Kelly was talking about earlier, where she was mentioning that if, if a country puts something into space, they have to have a plan for bringing it back. There's also something about liability, that the launching state is responsible for the damages of the launch. So if Russia is launching their uh, vehicle uh, the, out of Kazakhstan, I'm not sure if that means that Kazakhstan is responsible because that's where the launch pad is, or if Russia is responsible because that's because they're the launching state sponsor. I really don't know the answer. Now, I didn't look that hard either, um, but it could be one of those things that... What's that? Russia doesn't care. Yeah, Russia doesn't care. Yeah, they just don't care. Right. And <laughs> and probably Kazakhstan doesn't have much money anyway, but uh, you know, enough to pay an astronaut's family off, I would I would imagine, or a cosmonaut's family off. But we're just trying to get into or I certainly am into sort of the absurdity of relying on international law, which is not very well defined for things that you think are simplistic here, and where they are well defined, it's generally in the favor of the company. Uh, you know, it's generally not in favor of something you want. So the tax laws benefit the big company. The liability laws benefit the big company. Countries compete for the business of those big companies. Delaware has lots and lots of corporations registered in Delaware. Um, and you can drive through Delaware in about 20 minutes on I-95. And it's not like you're seeing, ton you know, the, you know, it's not like one giant, you know, Beijing or anything like that. Plenty of empty space. Um, and there's a reason for it. There's a reason why uh, there are, you know, a lot of land trusts in South Dakota and places like that. So, you know, th this is the same thing can happen with space, which is, of course, why Evil Dose wisely jumped on that and uh, define, also said the currencies that he would accept. Um, by the way, that offer is real. Uh, if you accept the, if you acknowledge the Viceroy of Nineveh, we acknowledge you and we will give you a really cool flag. Um so, so acknowledge us. Nice. Yeah, you in, you want in on this, Kelly? Oh yeah, oh yeah. No, okay. I acknowledge you. Okay, this is awesome. This is great. So. Do you have a stamp? Of course. Do I have a stamp? <laughs> I've got. Uh, we we have entire uh, collectible thing of stamps. Why one stamp? What, who wrote that rule that you have to have one stamp? No, Nineveh doesn't believe in that. 
we we have stamps with numerology. We have we have sacred geometry, um, and all of that stuff. Hey, is is this telescope that's that's hovering in space or going to be hovering in space? Is that based at all on that one to one point eight six? You know, golden compass, sacred geometry, eternal nebula uh, uh, equation, or no? So, um, I. I know that it is um, one of the, well, I would say standard optical designs, except they engineered the heck out of it with those hexagonal um, mirrors, but um, it uses a standard um, uh, optical design that tends to be used over and over again in satellites. I don't know if it uses that magical ratio, but I bet you that since it's all based off of math, that that's got to be in there somewhere because it shows up in everything. Yeah. And since I don't know when this show is going to drop and since it'll certainly be enough time by then, listen, math helps Spider-Man in Spider-Man 3, uh, No Way Home, uh, you know, defeat magic. So even even in the MCU, uh, math and geometry was was able to help uh, Spider-Man, Al Fox, the sorcerer, well, technically the not sorcerer supreme, Doctor Strange, Um so he so he science the fuck out of it too. Now I've got to remember to put the explicit on this one. Uh, oh well, um, that's good. That that's our key demographic that we're looking for is the the uh, cursing people. Um, so yeah, <laughs> is there without? So, uh, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Uh, um, you mentioned another interesting thing about um, liability and you know the. Um, who the rich favor, um, you know, the, the liability laws that are beneficial to them. And those are the ones that get, um, passed is interesting though, that, um, as far as, um, spacecraft go, um, there really isn't, um, any defined kind of, um, uh, uh, path forward for what happens. Um, like, you know, unless you sign some kind of contract with, um, the people that you're working with, whether they're a subcontractor for part of your spacecraft or whether they are your launch provider as to what liability people sign up for and what they don't. And usually they don't, um, what you can do is actually buy spacecraft insurance. Yes, that is a real thing. And yes, that is really expensive. Um, you can actually um, see um, if you if you do a Google search on that, you can see some different companies that offer it. Um, I actually belong to an international conference where uh, we get a keynote speaker every year that is um, one of the main um, insurance providers around the world, and he always gives us really interesting statistics as to um, what is likely to fail on a spacecraft. Um, who tends to be buying the insurance, um, what kind of, um, satellites, big, medium, small, what orbits, you know, are most likely to get insured and what isn't. It's really, really interesting stuff. That is um, really interesting. As far as that Now you sort of ruined it when you said he, cause I was really hoping it was flow and there was a bundle that was involved with progressive, you know, you get your camper, your motorcycle and your space insurance all bundled and you you know, save a quarter of a billion dollars on your premiums. But 
you even with he, you still prefer, preserve J.K. Simmons, uh, the, the the actor who's J. J. Jonah Jameson in Spider Man, and you know a million other things that you've all seen, but also also does the farmers insurance commercial. So I was maybe J.K. <laughs> Simmons is your speaker, and if he's not going to scare you enough into buying insurance for space, I, I don't know. Who will? Yeah, we have we have very favorable laws towards space insurance in the Viceroy of Nineveh as well, uh, and we're also very forgiving if you say Nineveh, Nineveh. We're we're okay with all of that stuff as long as as long as you declare fealty and you know pay those registration fees. That that's all. That's that's all we demand. Now we don't need to talk about the penalties for non-compliance. It it doesn't happen. You you'll be so happy. You, you, you never even have to worry about those types of things. Um, because you're like, then you must comply? Yeah, you know, resistance is futile, painful, terminal, slowly, <laughs> flame-like, you know, very much like Vikings, the show. Um, what they, what they call that thing, the, the when they took out the ribs, the... The, the 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 flayed angel oh, kind of thing. Oh yeah, that was so disgusting. Yeah, <laughs> just, let's just say that that you would pray for that. That that we'll just leave it at that. Um, it, but <laughs> but it would never enter your mind because everything is so perfect. Everything is so lovely. You get a nice matching suit. You get weapons. It's 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 terrific. It, it's it's everybody's dream. Um, so on more on space. So we have our space insurance. We have J.K. Simmons selling space insurance. Um, we get into a very interesting question about, I mean, it's funny you said humans make the same mistakes over and over again. Now, of course, this show is Garden of Doom and we've explored a lot of theories and, and you know, some evidence-based, some speculative, some uh, text-based, religious-based that humans, in fact, are, are, you know, didn't populate ourselves here, that we were seeded here through some version of panspermia. So, you know, we could bump into ourselves. What if ourselves have a, a different code of law? What if we do bump into actual, not Martians, but let's just say Martians, you know, with, with sentience for, just, just to keep it simple, or people X, being X, and they have their own laws. Whose laws control? Well, it's the same as international law. Probably whoever has the more powerful, effective weapons. That that that's whose law controls. So those of you who are against the defense budget, I don't think you know exactly what you're talking about. Because as much as you may not trust the U.S., you know, it's probably better for us to be the have the biggest guns on the block for a few reasons, including commercial transit. Um, but that aside, um, that's probably how it would so work. What to, your... What's my position on what? <laughs> What is your position on ancient alien astronauts? Let's put it this way. I don't really have a position on it. My position is simply that I find that to be a whole lot more plausible than I find the divine to be plausible. I would say statistically speaking, that that is a more rational explanation than, you know, some all-powerful being decided to pick this planet and these people and sort of le le left us off mostly to our own devices, except occasionally in, you know, rather, you know, unremarkable ways, to, to be frank. I mean, sure, dividing the Red Sea or whatever might be considered a miracle, but, you know, 
raining frogs and boils and things. I mean, not exactly all supreme kind of stuff, more like, you know, mean wizard kind of stuff. Um, so, <laughs> so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, so that, that, that's, that's my position on it. Uh, you know, it, it's hard to say, you know, an accident of evolution and just being in the right place at the right time, but you know, I think we were in the right place at the right time. And I think that probably this planet is, is hardly the only one that was in some version of right place, right time in the, the vast expanse of the cosmos. Um, but if there needs to be some explanation for all of the similarities in, in legends and myths and descriptions, golden eagles carrying chariots and huge noises and things that sound like uh, nuclear weapons in prehistoric times and things like that, I'm going to go with uh, visitation from aliens before I'm going to go with the divine and before I'm going to go with quantum, that it's, you know, visitations from ourselves in the future, more advanced version of ourselves, only because I have seen in my own lifetime vast improvements in transportation that, you know, and, and you know, we didn't have airplanes 150 years ago. Now, you know, you, you can go to Florida for 39 bucks. Um, I haven't really seen any advancements in moving time. So I'm going to go with the visitation thing and the distance is more surmountable than the time thing. I know that there's some quantum people out there going crazy just because you don't know the, the key doesn't mean you're right. I agree. I'm not saying I'm right. She asked for my position. That's that, that, that is my belief. My belief is willing to change. We are very open-minded here in the Garden of the Doom. All viewpoints um, are theoretically welcome anyway. What's your position? Ah, so um, my, my husband has gotten me to watch a lot of those shows, and um, I have to admit that he finds them fascinating. And wait, 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 wait. What are those shows? Are, are those shows Battlestar Galactica? Are they The Expanse? Or are those shows Ancient Aliens? Ancient Aliens. Mm. Uh, with uh, documentaries, and I will put that in quotes. Um, Don't you dare. So Many of our guests have been on those shows. Many of the Garden of Doom extended family, and we are building an extended family of recurring guests, which you can now count yourself as, as part of. Yeah, have been have been featured on those shows and and cousin shows. And and so the reason why I'm kind of poking at them a lot is that um, there always seems to be an interesting nugget of truth that they start to pull a thread on. And it always seems that when they pull the thread a little bit too much, um, it starts to um, unravel. But it's always an interesting show to see where they're going to go with that. So they always seem to start with the nugget of truth and then um, pull it very far. Um, again, I know, I know a lot of people actually, um, besides my husband, that um, absolutely love those shows and follow them. And, and I know I'm saying those shows still, sorry about that. <laughs> but, um, for me, I tend to be fascinated about them more than, um, be a true believer. That's fine. That is perfectly fair. 
I, I, I can't wait to meet and talk to your husband on, on these topics. Um, I need to go back to the Moon Treaty and uh, our non being part of it and what the what our law says, um, because there there was because uh, Trump actually issued an executive order expressly saying that the U.S. would not be part of the Moon Treaty. I did say part of I did mention that. But what I didn't mention, what I omitted is that the U.S. would object to attempts to use international law to hinder American efforts to mine chunks of the moon, Mars, or other celestial bodies. So Mr. Trump did go further in an executive order, whether or not that's, you know, <laughs> we've all seen, you know, and it's not just the Trump administration, plenty of administrations where, where do executive orders break separation of powers, but NASA is fully within the executive, the Defense Department, the Air Force is fully within the executive, except for funding, um, which comes from the legislative. So let's just let's just presume for now that, that it, it would survive a constitutional challenge. Um, international law, international courts are, are silly, but if we found that $60 trillion uh, asteroid, I'm sure we'd pay whatever fine the international court uh, awarded. Um, or we just buy the international court, um, something like that. But um, it included Mars and other celestial bodies. So that's pretty much everything. Every, everything we find that they, they can't push back. Um, so there you have it. Um, yeah, that, that all started because there were some startups that were then trying to figure out how to um, mine asteroids. Oh yeah, there's. I should have mentioned this, but uh, we're not out of time yet. But um, there are not just startups. There's companies who are bidding. NASA actually solicited bids to mine on the moon. Um, I'm not sure if that started during the Trump administration or this administration, but it's it's recent. It's within the last two to three years. Um, there's actually there's a bidding process going, and it's probably open bidding because most federal contracts are, and it would be, I guess, technically a federal contract. Um, where I'm sure that this, you know, government will get it, its piece of the action uh, financially, maybe literally as well, and probably has. I'm sure there's. I'm sure it's you know several hundred page contract involving first dibs on, over anything that can involve the national security or you know uh, uh, public health uh, risk or expansion and. You know, and, and now we can get into the conspiracy theorists of the expansion of the public health arena and all that, but we're not going to. Um, but, you, you, you know, if one wanted to, you can imagine and see how all these things are can be tied together. My, my point being is that international law is insignificant on this planet. How is international law going to be significant once you get outside of the zone of the earth when we can't even agree where does the zone of the earth end? Where's where's the atmosphere end and space begin? And, uh, you know, and, and then when we, you know, the day that we meet someone else, whether that someone is an ant, more like a dog, or, you know, more like a take me to your leader type, um, you know, let's just hope it's not the kind that doesn't step directly on us. Or if you really subscribe to Garden of Doom literally, Maybe you do hope for there there they just step on you and, and move on and because we bollocks this this thing up <laughs> righteously. <laughs> just know that if 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 that's the way it goes, Evil Dose has entered into treaties with those P 
peoples and, and Nineveh will survive. So, oh, fantastic. Yeah, no, it's wonderful. But yeah, there's, there's, there's actual law and actions by the branches, several countries, the UN, and there's something, I think it's called, I think it's called Copuus. There's like a, a like a UN oversight group that supposedly oversees uh, space ventures and something like if you send something to space, you have to file a report every 30 days. I mean, that's got to be great. The, the, the person who's got that job to file a report every 30 days. I mean, what happens if you, if you forget to, to file the report? <laughs> yeah, we're still in space. <laughs> still in space. So, 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 so a solar flare. Um, but, yeah, and then, then you know, and and every now and then we can go crazy about what's the name of that that uh, asteroid that basically orbits us, and you know, every three or four years, it, it you know, sometimes is much closer than other times. I think it's called. It's got a really scary name. It's like it's not apotheosis. It's apothis. A p o t h i s. Um, that, that's that's the meteor asteroid that. You know, it comes within 64,000 miles of us one year. Then a couple of years later, it's 12,000 miles. And a couple of years later, it's like, you know, 247,000 miles away, uh, you know, because it's in a, it's also in sort of a wobbly elliptical orbit as well. Um, and, you know, one day it, it's, it's going to hit. Um, when that is, who knows? Probably around the same time the caldera in, in Montana blows. Um, so every time a um, celestial body is found and they have enough data on it, they add it to their orbitology models. And so, um, spoiler alert, it's not going to be for a long time that that's going to be a problem. Um, so they, they kind of, they, they like to drum up um, uh, news and press on it coming really close because it helps with a lot of funding where we're supposed to look out for asteroids that could hit the earth that we don't know about yet and try to get funding for that because that, that totally can be a problem. But yeah, the ones they do know, um, that's, they're not going to be a problem for years and years. Yeah. But what they know is probably 0.0000000001. And that's probably overstating the capabilities. So you doomers out there, don't listen to that naysayer. <laughs> Kelly. There's plenty of asteroids that are likely coming our way, and some of them are going to hit, just like just like the movies promise you. Um, have you seen the trailer for the movie Moonfall? No. Okay, so I've seen a bunch of the different trailers, so I think I have an idea as to what the premise is. But basically, the moon is artificial. It's a forward base for some... Uh, either AI or alien technology or whatever. And, you know, we being NASA, maybe other governments knew about it. Um, you know, it, it's the big secret that, you know, Neil Armstrong wouldn't talk about and Buzz Aldrin can talk about. And, you know, the, the same thing that inspired Neil Armstrong to join some geological mission uh, in the Andes afterwards and stuff like that. Um, but the moon is artificial. And I keep, talking about the show I'm going to do on the moon. And the truth of the matter is I've got this book with all this crazy stuff about the moon, which I assume to be factual, but I can't find the book. Um, and by can't find, it means I haven't gotten around to looking for it. Uh, Cause I know where it is. It's going to be in one of 12 boxes or so. Um, but, 
But that book very much, you know, the premises is that the moon was placed there, uh, you know, and it is artificial, but someone placed it there. We don't know exactly why, but it allowed for intelligent life to develop here. Anyway, so Moonfall is basically about the, the, the moon's orbit is changing because whatever the trigger was, either mal either the safety device malfunctioned or the, the, the timer went off when it was time for uh, the moon to hit us and attack. And then it's, you know, seems like it's like an Armageddon type thing where, you know, they launch a mission with, you know, a bunch of, you know, a cast of heroic oddballs who, uh, you know, uh, undoubtedly save earth. And, you know, I, I don't know how they explain how, since the moon deals with gravity and tides and things like that, that it moving and then being replaced or destroyed, how to get around that one. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure they'll have an airtight plot with no no threads whatsoever that can get spun off. But um, I'd be I would be yeah, interested. I love that stuff. I, I'm going to be all over that. I'm going to look that up after this. Well, good. Well, <laughs> then you, maybe after it comes out, if it's actually good, or even if it isn't, uh, maybe we'll get you back for another show or a different. I do a, a show with this this guy named Drew Yari, and he has all of his shows are on Patreon, which means that you, they're behind a paywall. Um, but he loves to talk about movies, and so uh, it, it, it's very laid back. It's fun. It's if you believe it or not, it's less structured than than this show. Um, uh, but uh, I'm sure that would be something, especially if it's at all scientifically interesting, either ridiculous, factually, or a combination of both. Uh, and if you dig the show, uh, I'm sure he'd be happy to have you join the show, which he says is really my show, but. It's his show. I mean, it's his. It's on his Patreon. Uh, <laughs> and no, I don't get any money from it. And no, I don't ask for any money for it. It's 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 it, it's just nice to be asked. Um, so thank you, Drew. Shout out, Drew. Um, and maybe we'll get a scientist there, but you can't say her last name. Um, probably, but maybe then you can. Who knows? We'll see. Uh, or maybe Drew Yari can, because he he's more important than I. Am. He's got the clouds. Um, <laughs> What else about space was on your list, on your mind that you wanted to talk about? Because I'm sure that I probably got you on digressions or, you know, on things that were maybe not on your agenda. Um, I think you hit a lot of the high points for today. Um, I'm sure that, uh, oh, actually, one thing, I, I totally forgot about this. The, my one little nugget of information that I wanted everyone to know. Um, about a month ago, um, it hit the news that this um, uh, company uh, called Spin Launch actually figured out a way to kinetically launch um, small objects into um, uh, right below um, what, what it needs to get to for orbit. And so the the interesting thing about this is that their plan is to um, then have like, you know, a, a smaller rocket to, to actually get it the rest of the way to orbit. And that would save a lot of money and energy and et cetera, et cetera, and be more green. Um, the interesting way that they did it was actually um, have this huge contraption um, that was in a vacuum. So it didn't have uh, um, friction from, uh, you know, the air to actually like spin it around like a centrifuge and then like the, the top would just open up momentarily, um, to let it out as it spins off, um, and then close again so that it could go back under vacuum. And it actually worked. 
That's now, amazing. If you go back before that, nobody thought this was going to work and they thought this was a pipe dream and somehow these people pulled it off. And so now they're like flying with cash because everybody wants to give them money that they actually showed that they could do something. So, so this check is, it out. Spin launch. They have a video. So this is going to be basically a gigantic artificial Tasmanian devil that, that is wound up and, and does its thing. And at some point, its head pops off and something projects out of it. It gets shot out of, I guess, its high atmospheric orbit. Uh, and it doesn't. It doesn't require the same weight and fuel uh, to break the atmosphere and then get into space, which of course has like basically no friction. So it takes less. Uh, you know, your your propulsion is, I guess, infinite at that point. Yeah. So like again, um, it doesn't quite make orbit, so it does come back down. But you know, the plan is to then strap some kind of um, propulsion system to it to make for it to make the rest of the way. But, you know, that has its own challenges. If you think about it, like, you know, rocket fuel is kind of flammable and mm. spinning that around like crazy uh, before shoving it out a tiny window um, sounds a little scary because most people um, actually, when they're trying to do the um, final satellite integration with the fuel before it goes up for launch, um, they basically clear everyone out of the building, um, uh, except for who's essential for that particular step, um, just in case something blows up. So, so this is this is all like kid gloves, kind of like oh my god, we have we have rocket fuel with us, and and these people want to um, spin it around like crazy and and send it out a shoot. So this will be interesting. Now you say it comes back down. Let's assume nothing blows up. The super collider works, or you know the the giant paint paint can shaker they have that they rented from Home Depot works and keeps all the fuel safe, um, and that thing goes up and it comes back down. They, I assume, this thing also it needs to be part of an approved plan as to how to get it back. So I mean, what is just like other landers where there's you know two or three parachutes deploy and it. And they basically know that it's going to land in, uh, you know, Lake Bailal or Baikal or whatever in, in Central Asia or, or you know, off the coast of uh, Pensacola or whatever. Yeah. So, like, um, uh, two things. Uh, normally, when you're trying to have a plan to bring something back safely, you tend to try to shove it in the ocean um, because there are less likely to be people there. Fancy that. Well, it's big. Um, <laughs> big. It's a large target, and if you if you hit any part of the ocean, you can claim success. Got it. Yeah. Um, and the other part is that they haven't actually attached a rocket to this yet, so it is literally just the object that is not the flammable part that has gone up near near orbit, but not quite, and then come back down. So um, it was basically more of a proof of concept of where they could go. So we'll see what they can do with the final step of actually putting um uh basically a bomb onto this thing and shoving it into space okay well we can call it an engine and be less scary but no let's call it a bomb because this is garden of doom um so, so the other thought was that you know they would construct whoever they is a a launch pad on the far side of the moon and you know to avoid the the same type of situation obviously you'd have to have the the rocket thrust from you know from earth to, to moon to build it. But once you build something there, 
um, then it, it's a lot easier to launch off the moon. Because what, what's the, uh, I mean, the, the moon has like some atmosphere, but it's very thin or it has no atmosphere. Uh, practically no. I, I think it has enough just to technically be there, but it's practically nothing. Okay. That Mars has an atmosphere, though it's it's also, well, it's different. Um, so, yeah. So what do you think is going to happen first? They're going to master this, basically shoot the pinball rocket out of, you know, really high in the sky or uh, moon forward launch base, you know, alpha? Um, there's actually room for both because you definitely need that. Like the, the moon launching is going to be basically our way of getting out of, um, out of here towards other planets and not wasting a ton of energy, just, um, trying to get out of, um, the earth's orbit. Um, so that's where they're headed with that. Uh, but I don't think that that's going to be the majority of missions. The majority of missions are going to be something that spin launch is going to try to go after. There's other companies that have tried to do like a, um, um, a uh, elevator as it were to um, basically bring the um, satellite up to a certain altitude and then launch it um, so that you're, you're getting out of the gravity of the earth as much as possible to make it cheaper. Right. Don't they already have plans like somewhere from like the, the, like a high point somewhere in the Andes that they already like know or, have envisioned where they're going to build it from uh, and it's going to like go straight up uh, like like you said like a space elevator that i so i don't know the specifics on that i know that that some of the countries uh, some of the companies um that do that have been doing a lot of work at um the kennedy space flight center um so it'd be interesting they're at sea level so clearly that's not the best point but um be interesting to see what they end up doing. Um, and you can hear my dog in the background. He, he misses the fact that I'm not talking to him and I'm talking. Um, it'd be interesting to see what they end up doing. Um, what do you know about the Andy stuff? What do I know about the what stuff? The Andy's mountain, um, launch. Oh, I, I just uh, had thought that I had read that the, the plan that you were talking about and, and it may be something different, but that, they had already figured out the site like somewhere in like like maybe in Patagonia or 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 some other high plateau or or you know that that's where they would build the base of this elevator uh to go up and that they sort of had plotted either that's the funny thing because it, it, you know there's like discrepancies on the size of mountains because you know there's a school of thought do you do you measure it from sea level from where the mountain's base actually is and things like that um but uh i guess they were agreeing with where the friendliest high point is and there's probably some math involved as to because this is going to be fixed like the the james webb telescope as to when or where has the the best windows for weather and trajectory to shoot the things into the direction they need to be shot into to be useful now, it would be funny if there really was a god up there and, and we start shooting things up there successfully and, like, got the highlight cat, like, this giant ping pong racket and just, like, knocked them back and said, nuh-uh. 
I, I, I knocked I down your Tower of Babel, and this will not stand. <laughs> Have you learned nothing, you dolts? <laughs> um, <laughs> Why are you declaring war on God? What is wrong with you? <laughs> yeah. yeah, wow. Um, okay, I don't even... That, that probably seems like a pretty good spot to at least think about wrapping this up. We declared war on God and God is going to shoot back these things. By the way, Nineveh is very friendly to building space elevators and housing your, your space launch pads slash bombs. If they don't work as launching pads, but only as bombs, we, then we, the darker order may be interested in that as well. By May, I mean, absolutely. Um, and uh, we'll offer you timeshares on IO um, and Europa and uh, Uranus. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, <laughs> yeah. There's always room for that joke. That, that, that's sort of uh, my mantra in life. There's always room for that joke when talking about space. I uh, can always, can always lowbrow it a little bit. So yeah, space is crazy. And folks, those of you who are listening there, I am actually working on finding a space lawyer. There are, there are space law programs. Um, and I've, found a couple people and there's actually a course or a committee or something right here at the University of Maryland School of Law, Cary School of Law. So my alma mater, where I was on the Alumni Association Board of Trustees for several years, so possibly could actually reach out to someone. Um, I also reached out to a lawyer who's a maritime lawyer who, who immediately saw all of the parallels and said, yeah, I'm really interested. And, prob and then has disappeared, maybe because it's the end of the year and there's a lot of things you have to do at the end of the year, maybe because the men in black got to him, or maybe because there might be some conflicts with some, some clients they have that maybe not talk about the openness of this. Who knows? But I will follow up with, it, with that lawyer as well. And at some point, sometime, I'll have a, an actual lawyer on the show who you know, theoretically knows more than I do about this, or at least can pretend that they do. Uh, we'll talk about the maritime law, flag registration law, Antarctica, international law, and actually what is and what is not space law now. And, and again, if there's more enforcement uh, mechanisms that I am not aware of beyond the international court or the Hague or federal courts or whatever the case may be. Kelly, I thank you once again for joining us, our aerospace engineer from uh, undisclosed dark side, from an undisclosed dark company, from an, uh, with an undisclosed dark last name, with an undisclosed dark dog, and an undisclosed but shining beacon of light husband who I immediately have taken a shine to, even though I don't know his name, uh, which is fine too. Um, any thank you for having me. No, thank you for being had. Thank you for coming back. And hopefully you will consider coming back again and we will continue to keep your secret identity indeed secret back woman. <laughs> Thanks again. Have a good night. You too. Take care. Slow.
birds and comets struck my surface for a million years due to the fact that they don't burn up in my thin atmosphere if you wonder what a moon is it's a natural satellite one that orbits a single planet the planet orbits a star so bright scientific observations were first made in 1610 by galileo ADP, we work with more than 860,000 companies worldwide. That gives us a pretty good idea of how to help businesses grow stronger. Whether it's through data insights that help you make informed decisions about building a team that works better as a team, or by keeping you ahead of thousands of changing regulations so you can keep ahead of everything else, like building that better team. Grow stronger with ADP. HR talent, time and payroll.